Good morning, good morning, friends. How are we doing Wednesday morning? We all right? Yeah, we are. Come on, Daniel chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there with me. Again, that's Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to be going through that chapter uh, this morning. I heard some people got hit with some socks yesterday. Y'all okay? No? You a little bruised up? It's okay. Let's do it again. Was that a leader? Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, the kids don't get the socks. You guys do enough damage to us. Um, Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 is where we're going to be at uh, as you turn there. I'm um, going to continue on a little bit with where I left off yesterday, uh, introducing myself to you so you can, uh, again, just get a little bit of idea of who I am. Um, last night, I uh, finished my story at a very, a very um, kind of painful uh, moment uh, in my life, and um, that was uh, me with my family uh, living in a very uh, dangerous neighborhood, and I had mentioned it was one of the uh, most challenging and um, dangerous places in my city. I had said that, the, um, that I would go to sleep most nights and I would uh, hear the sound of sirens and uh, fights outside of my window. Um, well, uh, that kind of time in my life culminated or, or led up to this one moment uh, that I'll never forget. Uh, one day I was at school with my brother and my sister and uh, we get home. And as soon as I walked up to the front of my house, I knew that something uh, was wrong. The door was wide open. I look up at uh, the house and I see that uh, all of the windows, for whatever reason, were open as well. Uh, and I hesitantly walk inside. Uh, it was in this moment that I realized that the back door was open as well and that uh, the closet had been opened. And um, I'm a little worried, I'm a little concerned. And uh, as I step through my house, I realized that everything was gone. Uh, the, the, the couch was gone, the TVs were gone, uh, everything that my mom had worked so hard to save up for in the little space that we had up until that point in time uh, had been stolen. Uh, we call the police, and uh, if you live in a neighborhood like that, you quickly come to realize that that isn't really all that helpful. Uh, and so they tell us, hey, there's nothing that we can really do about it. Uh, next time, just try and be a little more careful, although there was nothing that we could have done. And so my mom is uh, frustrated and angry, rightly so. Me and my siblings are scared. And uh, what happens from that, my mom collects all of the money that she had saved up over the course of those few years. And uh, she moves us from this neighborhood uh, a couple miles north of where we were living in, uh, without a doubt, the nicest neighborhood that we had ever lived in up until that point in my life. Um, it was a small little apartment, a one bedroom, uh, but it was in a better side of town. Um, and I was so appreciative of getting out of these kinds of neighborhoods. Uh, we had carpet on the floor for the first time in nine years. And so just to kind of show you how happy I was that we uh, were in this space, I intentionally uh, slept on the floor. Although I had a mattress, I slept on the floor for three months to continue to remind myself that I ought to be grateful for the little things in life. Uh, and up until this point in my life, I still think about that moment. And so I try not to take things for granted. Uh, but as we move into this new apartment, that means a new school. Uh, and I enter into this new high school. This is now my sophomore year through my senior year. And I was so excited. I was thrilled because no one knew me. 
I could start an entirely different life. I could reinvent myself. I could tell stories about things that actually weren't true. I could pretend like I had this uh, amazing experience growing up, and that is exactly what I did. I went through high school, and uh, like I had said earlier in a a previous message, I was vibrant, and I was charismatic, and I was excited, and I was loud, and uh, people knew me in the hallways as the one that was just laughing loudly for the smallest reasons. I had a lot of friends, I did choir, I did sports, I uh, went around the city and even in the state uh, getting to enjoy all of the experiences that I hope all of you get to in high school. And uh, underneath all of that, I was miserable. I was miserable because all of that shame and that guilt that had been piled on in my life over the course of 10 years was still there. And so I leave high school thinking that it'll get better uh, and it doesn't and so I decide Uh, to follow in the footsteps of my father and up until that point, my brother. And I start drinking heavily and I start participating in drugs and I start going to parties and I start doing everything that the world would like to tell you is the solution to your problems. I did it for a year. I lost all of my friends that I had accumulated over the course of those three years. I didn't talk to my family anymore. They would constantly tell me that they didn't like the person that I was becoming and that I was quickly becoming like my dad. I didn't listen and I just continued to party and I continued to do what I thought was best for me. And it led me to the most important moment of my life. I still think it is the most ironic thing ever. I was on the way back from Disneyland and uh, which is widely known to be the happiest place on earth. And as I was sitting in the backseat of this car, I was miserable. Uh, I remember staring at the roof of this car, really nothing going through my mind other than, would the world miss me? And in all honesty, I don't think that it would. It was in that time of my life that I was also very stressed out. I was dealing with depression and anxiety and for reasons that you could probably understand and uh, that started expressing itself in rashes and hives that were appearing all over my body. I was so anxious about what life had entailed and how I could make myself better and fix my problems that again I would have spots on my face and on my arms and I would wear long sleeve clothing and things of that nature just so I could hide my problems and it was almost as if the sin that was in my heart was being shown for the world to see on my body. Uh, This morning we're going to see something similar happen to the king. And I'll preface with this, this morning uh, is going to be very challenging. The conversation that we're gonna be having is very heavy. Uh, But I believe that this morning is necessary to help you understand your need for God. And that requires a very tough conversation. And that conversation begins with, in order to live with resilience for God, here's a note. In order for you to live with resilience for God, to stand up for him, you have to have a right understanding of sin. You have to have a right understanding of sin. In order to live in resilience for God or with resilience for God, you have to have a right understanding of sin. As you finish writing that down, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Um, God, we know that the world is broken. We can see it all around us. We know that, that, that people are, are wicked and um, that the devil is real. Um, Lord, but we also know that you give us clarity about these things in your word so we can learn how to navigate through these issues. 
I pray that as we spend the next few moments considering what, again, your scripture says is true of that, that you would penetrate deep. Lord, we don't just need knowledge. We need you to change us. And so would you do it now in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Daniel chapter four, starting in verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar do all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And so chapter four opens up as a type of letter from the king and and once again he acknowledges as God, or acknowledges God as the most high, and he boasts of his power. But we've seen this before from the king. We've, we've seen that confession after confession after confession, the king will affirm things that are true of God. He will say, these things are true of this God that you serve, Daniel. And then he will live completely opposite of those things, proving, like we had mentioned yesterday, that those were just empty words and he never really had a relationship with God. Would this time be different? He goes on to say that he's writing of the signs and wonders that God has done for him. And so given the king's track record, it would be safe to think maybe that the king was talking about how maybe God had enlarged the king's kingdom or how God maybe had given Nebuchadnezzar more money or maybe that God had strengthened his military power. Let's see, verse four through nine. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head, they alarmed me. And so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of this dream. Then the magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came into me and I told them the dream, but they could not make it known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation." And so the king, he has another dream, and similar to the first, he calls all of the Babylonians wisest men to gather to try and interpret this dream. And to no one's surprise, they all fail, except for the man that the Bible says God has given all wisdom, skill, and understanding. Daniel enters the room. So notice as the king speaks of Daniel's ability, he says that that this was... uh, that he claims that he is named after, again, Daniel, his God, or Bel, and that Daniel has the spirit of the holy gods in him, not one God, but multiple gods. And so we see very early in this account that up until this point, the king still does not get it. He seeks guidance, counsel, and power from God, but he refuses to lay aside his pride and recognize that the God of Daniel is the only true God who is alone worthy of worship and obedience. And so what is this dream that the king has? Verse 10. 
The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold the tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the fields found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said this, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from, it, from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of, again, the holy gods is in you. And so the king, he sees a large tree in the middle of the earth, which grew until it reached heaven and it provided shade and food for all of the animals nearby. He then says an angel who he calls the watcher comes down from heaven and declares in this dream that this tree will be chopped down. And not only that, but the animals that were uh, depending on this tree to survive and flourish, they would scatter. He then speaks of a person who will become like these animals. He would lose everything that he had. He would become insane and even homeless as the morning dew would rest on his skin. The king then pleads with Daniel Please interpret this dream for me as you have done in the past. And Daniel does so. And this is what he says, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree, or meaning that this will happen. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. So the tree was the king whose power and influence was godlike and had reached many nations. But the true God would chop down the tree just like the stone had in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in last night's message. The king would lose his powerful nation. He would lose his influence over all of his people and he would even lose his mind. Scripture says that this would happen for seven periods of time meaning that this punishment would last until its purpose was complete. What was the purpose of this punishment? Write this down. This is a note to humble the king. The purpose of this punishment, it was not an accident. It was to punish the king. 
The king was not God. The king was not all powerful. The king was not in control. And the king's kingdom would not last forever. The purpose of the punishment was that the king would suffer for what he had done. And now to drive that point home into his stubborn, hard, wicked heart, God would make him no better than an animal. His beast-like character, his beast-like tendencies would now be on full display for the world to see. He once acted like an animal, and now, in a sense, he had become one. I think one of the... um, this isn't that serious, but I, I genuinely think one of the, the, the most uh, terrifying moments of my life uh, happened a couple years ago. I had just gotten my two dogs, Boston and Enzo, and I love walking my dogs. It's like one of the things that seriously brings me the most joy. Uh, I pray when I walk my dogs, and it's just great being outside and getting off my phone. And so uh, a couple years ago, I was doing this. I had Boston on a leash, and we were walking down the street, and the, the sun was shining, and there was like a breeze in Bakersfield, which is like a miracle in itself. And so I'm really enjoying my day. We're going down the street, and, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be too dramatic, but like to my sheer terror, I see an enormous dog. Uh, coming out from the corner of a cul-de-sac. And so if you ever walk dogs, you know that one of the scariest things that can happen to you is you just see like a random dog walking around the street without their owner. Uh, And so I'm walking my dog and I see this enormous dog walking down the street, uh, walking down the cul-de-sac, and he starts running towards me. And so if you have a golden retriever, if you've ever been around a golden retriever, you know that these dogs are like God's gift to humanity. Like they are the most precious things ever. They are very like, like flight, don't fight. They just want to make you happy. And so my dog is getting a little terrified. He starts like pushing up against me and we're walking and I'm trying to run to the house and to get out of the situation. But this big like, like pit bull looking dog starts running towards me and he starts gnashing his teeth. And me and Boston are like, help. And we literally start screaming help as loud as we can. We're like, help, hoping that like maybe the neighbor would hear or something. We're screaming, help, 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 help. And there's this guy that's standing in his garage a couple doors down that's holding a soda. And he's just sitting there with his hand in his pocket, leaning back, just enjoying the whole thing. And I look at this guy and I'm like, help me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, please, I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I need something. The guy's just standing there, looking there, just checking us out. And then he points at the house where the owner lives, but he doesn't say anything. He's just like, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that information? You know what I mean? Like I got two dogs that are about to fight right in front of me. And so I spend about two or three more minutes just just being loud, trying to get the dog away from me. And this this animal is acting insane, y'all. Like he had never seen another dog in his life. And then to my relief, this guy calmly kind of strolls out of his house. He's literally wearing a bathrobe. Like, so he's like chilling. It's like a Saturday, right? He's just enjoying his day. He sees, he sees his dog and he goes, Clark. And the dog stops. And he says, get over here. And the dog goes, and just walks away, right? The sound of the owner's voice. He responded to immediately. Do you want to know why that happened? Because he's an animal. And this is how animals act. They don't think like we do. They don't have souls like we do. They behave off of instincts. They're beasts. This is what would become of the king. God would make Nebuchadnezzar to act like an animal. What is Daniel's response to this? Chapter four, verse 27. After having said this and saying, King, this is going to be your future, 
Daniel pleads with the king and he says in verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And so after interpreting the dream, Daniel pleads with the king and he urges him, please king, break off your sins before God would punish you and you would see this through. And so that leads me to an important question. What is sin? This is a note. Sin is anything that falls short or doesn't measure up to the perfection of God. And I'll pause here for a moment. Sin is anything that falls short of or doesn't measure up to the perfection of God. I'll say it one more time. Sin is anything that falls short of or doesn't measure up to the perfection of God. If you need me to define that in a little bit, please come see me after, or a little further to repeat it. Uh, so we can see this kind of behavior radiating from the life of the king. This sin, it's, it's unbelief, it's disobedience, it's evil thoughts, it's evil motives, it's evil actions, and it's much more. What does sin do? Because oftentimes you come to spaces like this or you sit in church or you're in your classroom and everybody talks all negatively about sin. And so what I did when I was growing up was I just agreed with it. I was like, okay, sin is bad, that's awesome. But I didn't really understand the weight of sin or how powerful it was. What does sin do? Why is it so bad? Why does God hate it? It is responsible for everything evil and broken in the world. Sin is responsible for everything evil and broken in the world. Sin is the reason why we have divorce. Sin is the reason why people get sick. Sin is the people why we wage wars. Sin is the reason why there is injustice of all kinds across every nation. Sin is the reason why there are natural disasters. And sin is the reason why you feel shame, guilt, loneliness. And ultimately, it is the reason why things and people die. Sin is the reason why things and people die. The book of Romans sums this up perfectly. The book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You can write that down. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The book says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Some translations will say, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so the picture that this, vo- this verse is trying to paint is that of an archer that is standing before a target with a bow and an arrow, and he draws the bow, and he shoots trying to hit the mark. What is the standard? The standard is the perfection of God. It's the standard that we all have to live up to. Why is it that we have to live up to the standard of God? Because the Bible says that we were created in his image and likeness. And scripture says that we ought to be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect. And we all fall incredibly short. Oftentimes I'll have people come up to me after messages like this and say, you know what, JD, actually, like, I don't think I'm that bad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really lie as much as my brother does. Like, I haven't really done anything at, like that awful in my life. I was kind to the person eating tater tots next to me at breakfast this morning. Like, I would consider myself a pretty decent person. Like, I don't think that I'm that bad of a person. Like, okay, I don't measure up to God's standard, like, but I still think I'm pretty great. And I've, I've always struggled with this because I'm like, God, how is it that I can help them understand that, that like, they fall short of your standard? 
And a couple years ago, I heard something that really helped change my life and I'm praying that it would help change your life too. Hear me, you have a standard for yourself. You set your own standard. How many times, please listen to me, how many times have you said to yourself, I won't do that, I won't say that, I won't watch that, I won't be there. I won't do this, whatever this is again. And yet you do over and over and over again. Your bar is so low and you can't even reach that as a broken, imperfect person. How are you supposed to think that you can measure up to a standard of perfection? It's like, it's like God says here, like, like hit the arrow at the target and you have a football. It's, not, it's like you're not even playing the same game. And so you'd say, okay, JD, like I get it. I've fallen short of God's standard, but so what everybody else does. Like, why is that important? Romans 6.23, write it down. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says for the wages or the penalty or the punishment or the consequence or what you now owe because you have sinned is death. What kind of death? This verse is referring to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, in a place called hell. A couple years ago, I was in this place called Israel. Uh, I went to go tour the places where uh, a lot of the stories or the accounts of uh, things that took place in the Bible happened. And so I got to walk uh, into the temple in Jerusalem. I got to see uh, the plains where David would have fought Goliath. Uh, I got to walk into the cave or the manger uh, that people believe that Jesus may have been born in. And I got to, to tour all these incredible places. And at one point in time, one of the most memorable moments for me, I was sitting in a tour bus with a bunch of other pastors across America. And the tour guide in front, he said, uh, he said hey, everybody look to your left. And we were going up and I didn't really know what I was looking at because we were going around a mountain, but there was this, this big valley. He said, look to your left. And I was like, okay, there's like houses in it. It didn't really look that um, important. And he said, it's in this valley where some awful things happened in human history. Um, he said that in Jesus' day, a long time ago, about 2,000 years ago, uh, people would use this space as the town dump. And so when they had trash or they had filth or they had things that they didn't want, what they would do is they'd take their trash, they'd throw it into this valley, and then they would light it on fire. And so this became disgusting. Nobody wanted to be close to this place. Nobody wanted to be there. Uh, because there was so much trash, there were bugs that would come and just fester in this spot. And it was absolutely disgusting. You could see the fire from miles upon miles away. But it wasn't just disgusting, it was evil. People at that time thought that if they wanted to worship or appease their God, they would take their babies and throw them into the fire. And so this place is arguably one of the worst spots that you could think of in all of human history. And Jesus looks at his disciples as he's trying to explain what hell is like. And he says, it's that. Sin is so damaging. It is so painful. It is so disgusting that this is where it belongs and this is where I will kill it. This is sin. And so the root of sin, ultimately it's a prideful heart that does not believe that it needs God. I don't need to obey God. I don't need to worship God. I don't need to know God. And it is to that person that God will eventually humble but it will not be in the form of becoming like a beast 
it will be in the fires of hell. Let's see what becomes of the king. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, it's not, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty while the words were still in the king's mouth? There fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be the beasts of the earth, the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 33, immediately. The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. And so in God's patience, and I'm ending with this, in God's patience and kindness, he gives the king a full year to repent and turn from his sin and worship him. And instead, 12 months later, he is still the same prideful, arrogant, beast-like ruler. And God humbles him. All that Daniel interpreted would come to pass, and the king is left suffering for the consequences of his sin. Hear me, friends. This is one of the most important things that you can hear all week at camp. You will too. If you have been content being the ruler of your own life, if you have a prideful heart that is, is set on disobedience, if you, do, if you do not know God as your God, then punishment for your sin awaits. Now God is patient. Oh, that's one of the most beautiful qualities about our God. He is patient. But hear me, life is short. Take today and, and pray that God would reveal to you the true nature of your heart. Tonight we're gonna hear some good news. For those of you that would recognize that, hey, maybe you're in this camp. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you do feel the weight of your sin on your shoulders. But we cannot get to the good news of what we call the gospel until we first recognize that we need something saved to be saved from. Let's pray. God, your word says that Sin is real. Uh, your word says that it is damaging and destructive and it, it kills everything that it touches. And Lord, I'm just thankful that you've given us your word to help us understand that. God, I pray that as we go about our day, would this message sit heavy on our hearts? As we sit in our Jesus and me time, would you speak to us and reveal things to us that I couldn't possibly do um, but only by the power of your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.